Have you ever had a moment that stole the breath from your lungs? Have you ever found yourself grasping for words to articulate the mess of your past, present, and future? What songs rise from the broken pieces of your heart as a testament that you are still breathing? This is the human story, brimming with joy, grief, war, peace, doubt, and belief. Each of us has a human story, but we also have a God story within us. He is the breath in our lungs, the words on our page, the companion in our desert, the melody of our song, the salvation of our soul. We are human because He is God. Come on, church, make some noise if you're excited to be in God's house today. What an incredible morning we've had so far already witnessing those people go under the waters of baptism. I feel led, I, I forgot to say um, in that time between songs one and two as I was just encouraging people and explaining what baptism was and giving you an opportunity if, if you've never taken that step. Um, I also want to just share that I know that we grow up in a region of the country where you know, a lot of people come from faith traditions with that practice infant baptism. And while we respect that, we don't do that here primarily because we don't see it in the scriptures. In the Bible, we see that in the New Testament, baptism was always something that somebody did after they personally made a decision for themselves to place their faith in Jesus. And so that's why we call it a believer's baptism. And if you are somebody that grew up in a tradition that, that observed infant baptism and you've never as an adult gotten baptized, I wanna encourage you to consider doing that out of obedience to the Lord. And if your parents baptized you as a baby, the truth is you had nothing to do with that. You, you didn't know what was happening at that moment. That wasn't your choice. And so I wanna encourage you to consider changing that today. We can even baptize you immediately after the service is over. We've got a team of people, as you heard me say earlier, that have everything you need to get changed. But I, I just wanted to put that out there for anybody who is in that camp. And maybe you, know, you could look at it as just fulfilling what your parents were wanting for you from the time you were born. And so I just wanted to encourage everyone here today that if you have made a decision to follow Jesus but have not been baptized since you made that decision, make sure you change that today. We would love to baptize you. I'm excited to kick off this new series today, as you heard Pastor Beth say, on the book of Psalms. Uh, it's going to last six weeks. If you're new to church, we here uh, at Life Church like to teach in series that last anywhere from three weeks to eight weeks. Like our last series was eight weeks long where we will focus on a topic or a theme or a book of the Bible or a character of the Bible. And so for the next six weeks, we're gonna spend a summer in the Psalms and have the opportunity to hear from several of our pastoral staff what each of their favorite Psalms are and why. So the Psalms are, is a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew poems and songs and prayers written by a variety of different Israelite prophets and sages and kings from, a, from all over Israel's history. 73 of the Psalms, a lot of people think David wrote all of the Psalms. The truth is he only wrote um, maybe about half. About 73 of the 150 Psalms are attributed to King David's authorship. He was a poet as well. 12 of them were written by Asaph, 11 by the sons of Korah, Three of them were written by Solomon and Moses. And I don't know if you realize this, but a third of them, about 49 of them, are anonymous. We don't actually know who wrote 49 of the 150 Psalms. And so over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to become what we know now as the book of Psalms, Psalms to be read or sung on special occasions. They have provided comfort and hope to believers for thousands of years. And over the next six weeks, we're going to try to discover some of that hope for ourselves. In preparation for the series, I don't know if you're on our mailing list or if you look at the emails that we send out every week, but I included the links to a couple of video resources 
from the folks at the Bible Project that will help you understand a little bit more about the Psalms. If you haven't had a chance to check that email out yet or to watch those videos, I would encourage you to, to go back and find the email, watch those videos. One is like eight minutes long and one is like four minutes long. The first one is really an overview of the Psalms so that you can understand a little bit better you know, what the literary structure is, the flow of thought, what the main themes are, and its place in the overall biblical narrative. The second video is about how to read biblical poetry, because the book of Psalms is a book of poetry, and you read poetry differently than you read narrative prose or prophetic literature. And so if you can better understand how to read biblical poetry, you'll better have an appreciation and understanding of the overall story of Scripture. So I want to encourage you to check those videos out when you get a chance. And if you're not on our email list, just fill out one of our Next Step cards, and we'll get you entered into the database, and we'll start sending you emails every week. So to start off the series, I actually had a little bit of a hard time picking which psalm I wanted to preach from. There are so many psalms that I enjoy going to, and on Monday when I was working at a coffee shop, Monday's my off-site day to just get with God and, and figure out, you know, start prepping for the coming week. I'm like, I don't know which, which psalm to do, and I, I was just like, Lord, what do you want to speak to your people this week? It's not just about what my favorite psalm is. I, I want to know what you want me to communicate to your people, and I felt like he led me to what is probably the most well-known and most often quoted psalm in the Bible, Psalm 23. Many of you are familiar with it. You could probably quote it, you know, by heart from memory because you've heard it, you know, dozens of times, whether it be at funerals or different services that you've been to. It's one of the 73 psalms that King David wrote. And so I just want to begin by reading the six verses of Psalm 23 to you and over you. So look at this with me. David writes this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is something about this psalm when I read it or when I hear it read that makes me want to grab a pillow and a blanket and take a nap. It is that comforting to me. Like even physiologically, I can feel my body just start to relax when I listen to the words of this psalm. Spiritually, I, there's just something so comforting to me about the words that the Holy Spirit prompted King David to write and the reason I picked this psalm to start this series, the reason I think the Lord led me here is because as we are now into the dog days of summer, when, when I think of summer, when a lot of us think of summer, what's one of the first things that comes to our mind? Vacation, yes. School lets out and people are like, okay, we're, we're getting out of Dodge, we're gonna disconnect, we're gonna unplug, we're gonna you know, sit on a beach and soak in some rays. And... What I hope to do today is to encourage you that while vacation is great, I love vacation, a lot of times we, we look to vacation to restore our soul. And my hope and my prayer today is to convince you that only the good shepherd can restore our soul, not vacation. So David here gives us five things that the shepherd does for us throughout this psalm. He leads us, he restores us, he protects us, provides for us, and he loves us. And for the sake of our discussion today, I'm really gonna just focus on that first one. He leads us. He said it twice in verses two and three. In verse two, he said, he leads me beside still waters. In verse three, he leads me in paths of righteousness. So it might sound strange to you. I don't know if you've ever thought of Psalm 23 this way, but in a lot of ways, this psalm is about leadership. 
and the leadership, namely, of the only leader that will never let you down. There's a lot of leaders we have in our lives in every arena of life, political leaders. How many of you know they will let you down? No matter what side of the aisle you're on, there are no perfect leaders. Even in church, guess what? I will let you down. The leaders here, though we don't want to, though we don't try to, we will let you down because we are human. There is one leader, though, one shepherd who will never let you down. When we think about God, when we think about the names of God in Scripture, when we think about God as creator, God as king of kings and lord of lords, those names, those titles talk about and they emphasize his transcendence, his might, his power, his majesty, and and those things should create in us that feeling we feel when we stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. As we just stand back in awe and wonder at the magnificence and, and majesty of God. But here we see King David, a man who has seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, saying that God is also my shepherd. Yes, he is creator. Yes, he is king. Yes, he is Lord. But he is also a close, intimate shepherd who knows me, who's for me, who's leading and guiding me, protecting me and providing for me. The Lord is my shepherd. And a thousand years after David pens these words, Jesus shows up on the scene and draws upon the imagery of Psalm 23 when in John 10, he's speaking to the Pharisees. He says this, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he what? He leads them out. Several verses later, Jesus comes right out in verse 11 and says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So David saw God in part as a shepherd, and then a thousand years later, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So even though the Psalms is an Old Testament book, there is so much in it that prophetically points to who Jesus would be and what he would do for us which is why one of the cool things we're excited to do with all of you is to invite you to go on a spiritual journey with us over the next several weeks in this series. We are gonna do a 30-day, starting tomorrow, a 30-day version reading plan called The Magnificence of Christ in the Psalms. And we're gonna put up a QR code for you to scan with your phones right now. Some of you already have your phones out because you're surfing Facebook instead of listening to me and I'll pretend like I didn't see that. But you all have permission to pull your phones out, open up your camera app, scan that QR code. When you see the link pop up on your screen, just tap the link and it will open up Uversion and you'll see an invitation. Just click the button at the bottom of that screen that says accept invitation. And starting tomorrow, you'll have the opportunity to engage with the staff. We will post some discussion questions in there every single morning uh, as we, over the next 30 days, discover different attributes and names of God in the Psalms that would ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus. I'm excited to go on this journey with you and to discover all that God shows us and teaches us over the next 30 days. But getting back to what David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd who leads me. Where does he lead us? According to David, there's at least two things that he leads us to. And the first is found in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Now, green pastures normally speaks of where a shepherd would lead his sheep so they can feed or graze. But David doesn't say, he feeds me in green pastures. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So the focus and emphasis here is not on feeding, but on resting. He then says, he leads me beside still waters. See, for sheep, they were afraid of fast-moving water. When a shepherd was leading sheep through different pasture lands, he would often stay somewhat close to, to a river or a stream where, where, the fe- where the sheep could drink and be refreshed. But if the water was moving too fast, the sheep wouldn't drink from it because if they fell in, 
their fleece would, get, would soak up water like a sponge, making them super heavy. They would sink like a rock and drown. And so what a good shepherd would do is he would kind of dam up the river to slow down the waters so that they were slow moving and kind of still so that the sheep felt safe to approach and drink and be refreshed. He leads me beside still waters. Do you ever feel like, speaking of fast-moving waters, you ever feel like your life is a level five rapids going through the Colorado River, through the Grand Canyon? Am I the only one? It's like the pace of life sometimes is nuts. And it's like, man, can I just get a break? It's just going by too quick. I'm so grateful that I have a shepherd who leads me beside still waters from time to time so I can catch my breath and, and take a break. Last year, my wife and I and our children went down to Florida twice uh, to witness and be a part of her two nieces' weddings. Two of her three nieces got married last year, one in May and one in November. And when we went down there, we stayed at an Airbnb that was right on a lake and had a dock in the backyard that protruded out into the water. And at the end of the dock, there were two Adirondack chairs. And every morning before the kids woke up, I would get up early, brew a pot of coffee, and take my Bible out there. And this was my view last May. I posted this to my Instagram account. And if you'll notice what Psalm is open as I'm reading, there's something about being beside still waters that restores my soul. There was one morning, I was out there so long, my wife came out, she goes, um, it's been over two hours, are you gonna come inside? Like, oh, the kids are up, they're playing, they're ready to start the day, and I'm just like, I just wanna sit here and be with Jesus. There's something about being beside still waters that, that restores my soul. And so David here is giving two beautiful images of rest, the green meadows with lush grass and the still waters beside them. So the first place the good shepherd leads me to is rest. The good shepherd leads me into rest. Two observations about rest. The first is rest does not come easy or naturally to sheep, which is why David said he makes me lie down. Because if he doesn't make me, I'm probably not going to do it because I'm just going to keep going. The list of to-dos is too much and there's too many people relying on me and I'm just go, 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 go. He makes me lie down. Why, why is it hard for sheep to rest naturally? Well, because they're timid and vulnerable creatures whose only defense against predators is to run. And so they remain standing kind of on alert and all it takes is the bark of a dog and they're off running because they're scared. Maybe you find it hard to rest Maybe there's a challenge you're facing or a problem you're trying to solve. So many fears and worries that consume your mind. Your mind just won't turn off. Maybe you lie in bed at night and whether it be the list of things to do or your mind is ruminating on all the things that have happened or all the things that could happen. How am I gonna get everything done? How am I gonna make it through this? You know you need rest, but you don't know where or how to find it or experience it. And David can relate, he's been there. And if you think about his life, it's not surprising that rest didn't come easy or naturally to him. Whether it be the years he spent on the run trying to escape Saul who was trying to kill him or the years he spent worrying over his divided and extremely dysfunctional family or it was just the, the sheer weight of responsibility that rested on his shoulders as the king of Israel. Rest did not come easy or naturally to David, and yet he writes, the Lord is my shepherd who makes me lie down. Second observation about rest is that sheep will rest only when they can see their shepherd. Sheep will only lie down when they feel safe, and they only felt safe when they could see the shepherd. Put yourself in the position of a sheep. You know that you're vulnerable and your only defense is to run, so you stay on your feet. But when you see your shepherd, you know that you can actually relax a little bit and calm down because if a coyote comes, the shepherd's gonna handle the coyote. And so when you see your shepherd, you know you're safe and you can actually rest. If the shepherd were to leave the field, you would be on your feet watching for danger, ready to run. But as long as you can see your shepherd you're able to rest. And even if I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I still will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. I know that you're close. 
Even if the worst thing imaginable happens, I can still not worry, not fear. I can rest because you, my shepherd, are with me. So the way that we find rest is to keep the shepherd in view. The shepherd does not give rest to sheep by ridding the world of all dangers. The wolves are still out there. But the sheep lie down because they have the shepherd in view. His presence, his closeness, his nearness gives them peace and rest. And so the way that we should battle our fears, our worries, our anxieties, our restlessness is to stay close and to keep the shepherd in view. Reminding ourselves that I don't have to go through what I'm going through alone. The Lord is my shepherd who fights my battles. The Lord, my shepherd is the Lord God Almighty who fights my battles who leads me beside still waters, who makes me lie down in green pastures. And in doing so, verse three, it says, he restores my soul. I don't know about you, but my soul gets weary. Anybody else's soul get weary from time to time? About a third of you. The rest of you are lying through your teeth or you're just not paying attention If I'm honest with you, I'm in a weary season right now. Whether it be the the rate at which my my boys are growing up and and wanting independence and like one's a teenager already and it's like, and the weight of of leading this incredible church and trying to figure out, God, what are are the next steps you have for us as, as you continue to send people and we're growing and how do we keep making room for more people to experience what you're doing here and yet still pastor and care and love the people that you've entrusted to us well. I'm weary, you guys. As a shepherd leading this church. And if I'm not careful, I can fall into the trap of thinking, well, I just need a break. I need to rest. I, I need to slow down. I need to go on vacation. I can fall into the trap of thinking that it's the, it's the green meadows and the still waters that restore my soul. It's slowing down and taking a break and going on vacation that will restore my soul. Listen, vacation might provide the opportunity for me to slow down, but you guys, we have to understand that it is only the good shepherd himself who alone restores our soul. David said, he restores my soul. Not vacation, not the still waters, not the green meadows. He restores my soul. Friends, we cannot restore ourselves. Vacation For all, I mean, listen, it's great. I want you to go on vacation. I love going on vacation. But we can no more restore ourselves than we can save ourselves to begin with. God restores us. It reminds me of like last year when we were on, no, actually earlier this year, we were on um, vacation. We were at a resort in Orlando and uh, we were sitting poolside and my oldest son, Sammy, he leans back and he's like, this is the life. I wish we could do this all the time. I'm like, son, this is vacation. This is not life. Life is living with a purpose on mission for what God created us to do. That's life. I'm grateful for vacation. I'm grateful for rest. But only Jesus, only the good shepherd restores our soul. And he restores us through a fresh encounter with himself where he invites us to draw near. Scripture says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Jesus, our good shepherd in Matthew 11 says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He didn't say take a nap or go on vacation to get some rest. He said, come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Go on vacation, take naps. I was gonna wear a shirt today that said, Jesus took naps, be more like Jesus. But it had a grease stain on it and I couldn't wear it. I'm grateful for vacation, but only the good shepherd restores our soul. But in verse three, we read that he also leads me in paths of righteousness. You guys, our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful 
in all of its ways. We couldn't find the path of righteousness if it hit us in the face. Because all of us like sheep have what? We've gone astray. I'm so grateful we have a shepherd to lead us to the right path, to lead us in paths of righteousness. The good shepherd, number two, leads me into righteousness. First into rest, then he leads me into righteousness. Notice those two places that the shepherd leads us to. First to still waters, and then in paths of righteousness. And what we do in each of those places is different. One is for resting, one is for walking. There are times in our spiritual life for lying down, and there are times to move forward. I love rest, but there is more to the Christian life than rest. I am glad he makes me lie down because if he didn't make me lie down, I probably wouldn't slow down and ever stop. But the reason we rest is that we might have the strength to follow him on the right path. But notice the order because the order is important. See, naturally we would think that we walk on the path until we get tired and then we take a rest. But no, and here it's the opposite of that. We rest first beside still waters and then from that place we walk in paths of righteousness. We don't rest from our work. As believers, we work from a place of rest. We rest in the finished work of the cross, and then we walk in the paths of righteousness that he leads us on. That's important that we get the order correctly. The Bible speaks of righteousness in two different ways. The first way, there is a righteousness that Christ gives us. We talked a lot about this in the past series especially towards the end of the series when we looked at the great requirement. But the Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, that Paul wanted to be found in him, be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, comes from obeying the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. God gives it to us on the basis of faith. See, we become right with God by the righteousness that Christ gives us. Christ walked this earth as a perfect, the only person to ever perfectly obey every aspect of the law. He was righteous before God. And when you place your faith in him, all of Jesus is right. He took our sin and in exchange gave us all of his righteousness. We receive his righteousness when we become his. There's a righteousness that he gives us. And then once we are his, number two, there's a righteousness that he then calls us to, which we talked a lot about in the last series, again, at the great requirement. Once we are justified, we will do justice. Once we have received his mercy, been given his righteousness, we will act justly and love mercy. That is the righteousness he calls us to, to love others as he has loved us to advocate for and and fight to help those who've been oppressed and help lift them up. Justification leads to justice. First Peter says it like this. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and what? Live to righteousness. So first we receive Jesus's righteousness and then we live to righteousness. There's a righteousness that he calls us to. When the Lord is your shepherd, he will lead you. And the paths that he will lead you on are paths of righteousness, which again, righteousness is right standing with God. It's an ethical place of right standing with God and with people that comes when you love God above all else. And then you love others as Jesus has loved you. That's righteousness. And we learned last week that the ideas of righteousness and justice are so intertwined with each other that they cannot be separated. We cannot be in right standing with God or with people if we are not acting justly or loving mercy. Paths of righteousness simply mean right paths. He leads me along the right path. When the shepherd leads you, it will always be the right path. But we have to understand that that does not mean that the right path will always be easy. The right path will often be very difficult. In verse 4, the right path takes you through the valley of the shadow of death. In verse 5, the right path leads me into the presence of my enemies. So the pastures, listen, will not always be green and the waters will not always be still. Mark's gospel tells us that he told his disciples, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. He gets in the boat with them and then leads them right into a storm. But it was in the storm that they saw his glory and learned that they could trust him. 
He doesn't always lead us beside still water. Sometimes he leads us through the waters and they're scary waters. But in Isaiah 46, he goes, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. The right path he leads us on isn't always easy. And there are times where it will seem downright impossible. Just like when he led the Israelites to the mouth of the Red River after rescuing them miraculously from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Leads them to the mouth of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army closing in on them to recapture them and take them back. There are times where when God is leading, you will run into what seems like an impossibility and that impossibility is only there to show you God's power. To show you that with him, nothing is impossible. There will be times on the path that he's leading you where it will feel like he has left you. You won't always feel his presence. We are called to walk by faith, not by feelings. And there will be times where he's leading you on a path and all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where you're like, God, where did you go? And what in the world are you doing? I don't get this. I don't understand this. This is hard. This can't be. You can't. There's no way that you led me here. Don't let the feelings of the perception of his absence caused you to doubt the fact that the good shepherd led you there to show you some things and teach you some things and pull some things out of you and put some things in you to prepare you for the next season of your life. And while you're trying to figure out the right path when you find yourself in that place where you can't see God, you can't feel God, that's when you lean into the wisdom and counsel of godly leaders in your life, because one of the ways that your shepherd will lead you is by giving you under shepherds. That's what I am. That's what all the pastors on the staff are. We are under shepherds because really Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd and pastor of his church. And Jesus appoints some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to, to teach you what the ways of righteousness are and to protect you from wolves and sheep's clothing and, and from false doctrine to help you do the things that God has called each of you to do. But we're just an under-shepherd. He is the shepherd. And one of the ways he leads us is by providing godly leaders to us that will help us find the right path when we can't feel his presence. Where the shepherd leads you is always the right path. And knowing this will help calm your fears when you walk through seasons of change. A lot of us don't like change, myself included. It's scary. We like comfort. We like predictability. But a shepherd, man, it is hot in here, y'all. Whoo! I am dripping, man. Thankfully, Pastor Rich gave me a towel, and I'm, I feel like T.D. Jake's up here or something like that. Like, that's totally not my style, but goodness gracious. Woo! Yeah. A shepherd has two responsibilities. To care for the sheep and to be somewhat of a land manager. And here's what I mean by that. See, when a shepherd will lead a sheep into a meadow or a pasture of, of green grass, the sheep are like... It's a smorgasbord. Look at all of this delicious grass to eat. And they will eat, 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 and they won't stop eating. They will even eat the roots of all of the grass and vegetation until the land is left barren. And so a good shepherd, knowing the tendency of sheep to overgraze and overeat, will know when it's time to move the sheep on to another pasture. Say, you've fed here long enough. I'm leading you to another place. And all of us will experience this from time to time in our life where God leads us to a place and we're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm getting fed here. The grass is so green here. And the shepherd will whisper, it's time to move on. And you're like, God, I don't want to go. I love it here. The grass is green here. I'm being fed here. When the shepherd moves you on, he's saying, this is no longer the place where you will be nourished. I have another place for you to go that I will provide you. I will feed you there. There I will make you lie down. Do not be afraid. This is the right path. And you may not want to move to the field where he is leading you to, but he will feed you where he leads you. 
He will feed you in a way that your soul will be fed more so than you would be if you had stayed where you were. And I shared with the first service that I, when I wrote this part of the, the message, I wanted so badly to take it out. Because people can, I guess, misinterpret what I'm trying to say here as an excuse or a reason to leave the church. Because the number one reason I hear as a pastor, and I've been in ministry for 11 years now, been around ministry much longer than that, the number one reason I hear from people for why they're leaving a church is, eh, I'm just not fed there anymore. Just not fed there anymore. And listen, God wants you to be planted in a local church. Another psalm says, planted in the house of the Lord, the righteous flourish. Their leaf never withers. Fruit is always on the vine. Too many people, as soon as they're like, you know what, this isn't just doing, this isn't doing it for me anymore. I'm just, I'm just gonna go on to the next place. And they'll stay there for a couple months and then they're like, eh, I'm done here too. And they just, they church hop from one place to the next, to the next, to the next, and they never plant themselves. And as a result, they never develop enough of a root system to produce any fruit in keeping with righteousness. But the Holy Spirit told me, leave that in the message because there will be times and seasons in your life, whether it be a job or even potentially a church, where God says, you have feasted here long enough, it's time to move on to another field because I've got something I wanna give you there. And as a pastor of this church, I want you to know that my wife and I, and we tell our staff this all the time, that we wanna hold the people that God brings to us with open hands. You are not ours. You don't belong to us, you belong to him. And we want to do whatever we can in the time that God calls you to be a part of this local church body. We want to do everything we can to love you and teach you and protect you and correct you and guide you and help you take next steps as you follow Jesus. But you do not belong to us. And so if and when there comes a time where you say, you know what, I think my season here is done, we will bless you and we will celebrate as you go out into the next assignment where God has called you to, to feast somewhere else. That's our heart. And you won't hear a lot of pastors say that because they want to hoard the sheep. They were like, no, you belong here. No, you belong to him. And I trust him to build his church. Whoever he wants here, he'll bring here. Whoever he wants somewhere else, he'll send them somewhere else. But knowing that he always leads us on the right path, there will be times where God says it's time to move on to another pasture. And knowing that the path that the shepherd leads you on is always the right path, can provide you a sense of safety and comfort, even when change can be a little bit unsettling. And he does this for our names, for his name's sake. The last half of verse three, he leads me along right paths for his name's sake. It would be easy for us to pass over this little phrase, like so many of us do. But I want us to see today that this is the best part of the verse. Number three, the good shepherd leads me for his name's sake. Some people wonder or worry, how will I know that the shepherd is always gonna lead me? How do I know he's not gonna just eventually give up on me because I keep messing up and I keep sinning and I keep doubting and I keep questioning. How do I know that the shepherd is going to keep leading me? The answer in these, is in these four beautiful words. It's for his name's sake. Why does the good shepherd buy and birth sheep into his flock? Scriptures over and over again tell us it's for his name's sake. Look at these verses, Ezekiel 36, 22. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I will do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. Isaiah 43, 25. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. The apostle Paul, early in his life, was, was a man consumed by persecuting people who believed in Jesus because he thought that Jesus was a false teacher and a threat to the real religion of Judaism. And so he tried to stomp it out until the resurrected Christ appeared to him and said, Paul, why do you persecute me? 
And in 1 Timothy 1.13, he says, I was a blasphemer and a violent man. But a few verses later in verse 16, he says, but it was for that very reason that I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. Paul was saying, God didn't choose me because he saw something good in me. Listen, there is nothing good that dwells in any of us. God chose me even though I was the worst of sinners to show how immensely patient he is. That's why he chooses us, to display his glory, not to make our name great. It's his grace, it's his patience, it's his faithfulness that will be put on display forever through whatever he makes of you. That is why he will never give up on you because he is faithful even when we are faithless. He stakes his name on it. What he accomplishes in and through your life will be for his praise and glory forever. He uses every single part of our lives, every single part of our story. The the brokenness and the healing. The, The sin and the forgiveness. The pain and the healing. The restoration. He uses all of it for his glory and his praise, for his name's sake. And some of you here today, you're living your life and you have no peace in your life and you are struggling to find any sense of significance or purpose or meaning. And you know why that is? It's because you're living for your name's sake and not his. You're trying to make your name great. You want the significance. You want the glory. You want the money. You want the affirmation and the accolades. But it's only when we live our lives for a cause greater than ourselves, the kingdom of God, do we really find success or significance. When we live for his name's sake, will we find peace? Will we find fulfillment? The thing I want you to take out of this message is not so much something that I want you to do. The Christian life is so much more. It's not a list of rules and regulations. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. What I want you to take out of this message is not so much what you should do as it is understanding who you've been called to follow. Jesus said, follow me. And Psalm 23 tells us that we have a good shepherd who leads me into rest and then leads me into righteousness. And I can only do righteousness when I rest first in the finished work of the cross and stop striving to prove my worth and my my value, my worthiness to God by my own efforts. No, I rest in the finished work of the cross. And then he leads me in righteousness and he does it for his name's sake that my life and your life would be a story that are read by others of the faithfulness the love the grace of a good shepherd who loves you so much he calls you by name and leads you out and someday the greatest assurance I can give you is that the good shepherd has staked his name and his reputation on the fact that he will lead you safely home In John 10, he says, not one of my sheep will perish. And one day, hopefully many, many years from now, when I arrive in his presence and I've passed through the valley of the shadow of death and my enemies are no more, I will know that I am with my shepherd who will lead me forevermore. The Apostle John in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, check this out. Speaking of the coming kingdom, writes this, that for the lamb at the center of the throne, speaking of Jesus, the lamb of God who was slain, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye and every drop of sweat from their brow. Jesus is a shepherd worth following. Let me pray for you. God, I'm so thankful that you are our shepherd. Thank you for the way you lead us. Thank you for the places that you lead us. And thank you for why you lead us to those places. 
Lord, this morning, the first group of people I want to pray for are those who are weary and burdened. Lord, that includes me. And I know I'm not alone here. There's a lot of people here and watching online who are weary from the battle, who are weary from the fight, who are weary from the constant trials and tribulations and challenges. Maybe it's broken family relationships. Maybe it's financial distress. Weary from carrying the weight of feeling like everything depends on them. Everyone depends on them. Lord, I pray that you would lead them to a place of rest today that is only available in your presence. Give rest to the weary. Give rest to the restless. Thank you for leading us into rest. And Lord, thank you for leading us into righteousness. I thank you, first of all, that you have gifted us who have placed our faith in you, your righteousness. And God, I pray that you would convict us and call us into righteousness. Not just the righteousness that we've received from you, but the righteousness that you've called us to do. Sometimes I fear that those of us in church hear these messages, we sit through a series like the one we just walked through and we hear what you require of us and what it means to act justly and love mercy and yet it never really leads to any change in behavior. It doesn't lead to any change in what we prioritize in our lives and what we give ourselves to. And so we become hearers of the word and not doers. And so God, I pray that you would convict us and forgive us for our, for our apathy, for our laziness, for our rebellion to refuse to do what you've called us to do. And help us to see that you are leading us into righteousness, a righteousness that will be put on display for the world to see, that that the world might see our good works and end up glorifying you in heaven. Lead us into that and help us to follow you into that. And lastly, Lord, I pray that we would recognize that everything you lead us into is done for your namesake, not ours. Lord, if there has been any selfish motive or selfish ambition in our efforts to make a name for ourselves, to receive attention and affirmation from others, God, forgive us for that pride. Lord, and help us to live our lives for your glory, for your namesake that our lives would be letters read of all men that testify of your grace and your love and your faithfulness that makes other people want to know who it is that we are following and makes our lives look so different. So before I close... I always want to provide the opportunity for anybody who's here. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, I know we might have a lot of guests here today. Maybe you came because you're the friend or family member of somebody who got baptized. And maybe what you heard today is different than anything you've heard before. Maybe you grew up in a tradition that taught, hey, as long as you're a good person, your good works outweigh your bad works. As long as you don't hurt anybody, God will accept you. You'll make it in heaven. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Only through faith in Jesus' death on the cross are we made right with God. Only when we receive his righteousness are we acceptable to God. And so if you've been trusting in your own righteousness and in your own good works and in your own efforts to please God, you need to repent of that and turn to him and ask him for forgiveness and place your faith in his death and resurrection. That's what makes you righteous. That's what makes you acceptable to God. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you are ready to make that decision and take that step to put your faith in Jesus, would you just boldly raise your hand all across this room? 
Say, yes, that's me. I need forgiveness. I need his grace. Anybody in this room? Over here on the right, God bless you. If you're watching online, you click the link in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. Anybody else here today? I want to follow the good shepherd. I'm going to turn around from the path I was on and follow the path, the right path that God has for me. Well, I don't want anybody praying alone, so church, will you join the one who is saying yes to a relationship with Jesus? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. And Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Wash me of my sin. Make me brand new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And give me the strength to follow you as my shepherd who will lead me into rest and then lead me into righteousness for your name's sake. I no longer live for myself. I live for you, my Lord and King. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, Lord, I pray you seal this work. I pray that they would know in this moment they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that you have placed your Holy Spirit in them as a deposit and as a seal, and that you will give them new desires that want to do what pleases you, that they will turn away from their old life and follow you from this day forward. God, I thank you for new life today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. We welcome those of you who have been born into God's family today. Before I release and dismiss you, if I could just address those of you that said yes to a relationship with Jesus, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. You're our brother, you're our sister in the Lord, and we want you to know that you are now a part of a much larger family that are excited to join you and come alongside of you to help you take next steps on this journey of faith. And so if you would do us a huge favor, if you said that prayer, if you said yes to Jesus, in the seat back pocket in front of you was a green card that says, I've decided. Would you take that, turn it over, and just mark the box that indicates the decision you just made? And on your way out, if you wouldn't mind handing that to one of our next step dream team members in the welcome area of the foyer. They would love to congratulate you and give you some resources that will help you take some next steps on this new journey as a follower of Jesus. And if I could be so bold as to suggest that maybe the very next step you take before you even leave here today is to let them know that you've decided to follow Jesus and you need to get baptized. We will hang out here, we will wait for you, and we will celebrate what God has done in your life today. And so if you need to get baptized for any reason, even if you made the decision to follow Jesus 20 years ago, but you never got baptized, don't leave today without making that right. We love you, church. As our dream team members get into position now to serve you with excellence, we love you. I'm so excited to go on this journey with you, walking through the magnificence of Christ in the Psalms, this 30-day reading plan. If you didn't get a chance to scan the QR code, uh, it will be in an email that we send out, and it will also be on our social media feed this week. So you can scan that. You can click the link, accept the invitation, and we will learn and grow together how we see Christ in the Psalms. I hope you have a great week, church. I love you so much. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday.